Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Over the past few weeks, our church has celebrated some wonderful liturgical feasts. A few weeks ago, we celebrated Pentecost. After that, it was the Feast of the Holy Trinity. Last week, we celebrated the Feast of the Body and Blood of Jesus Christ. Now, we come into ordinary time. Now, this is, usually happens at the very beginning of summer. And so now we settle into a normal routine. That being the case, turn to the first reading. Here we have chapter 3 from the book of Genesis. And in this story, we hear the fall of grace. Now, this is one of the most powerful stories in all of the Bible. The fall of grace of Adam and Eve and all of the implications associated with it. Now, in the first reading that we have for this weekend, we find or we hear the immediate aftermath of the original sin that is committed by Adam and Eve. And it tells us what happens to humanity after sin is ushered into this world. Now, notice the very first detail of this story. God is looking for Adam, and Adam is hiding from God. Now, don't read this as a chink in the omnipotence of God. God is omnipotent. He is all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful. God never loses sight of us. But instead, notice the great symbol. What does sin do? Well, it involves alienation away from God, a spiritual wandering away from God. That's why God is asking, where are you? But here's the positive thing that we can take from this. God will never give up on us. Rather, God is always seeking us searching out after us. Even when we feel so far away, even when our conviction is we are not where we're supposed to be, despite that, and despite our sin, God always is searching for us. Now notice Adam's response. He says, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Prior to original sin, Adam was not afraid of God. In fact, they were great friends. It says, before the fall of grace, Adam and Eve walked in easy fellowship with God in the cool evening of the garden. That was what God intended for all of us from the very beginning. To walk in easy fellowship, which means what? We walk in the rhythm of God. We live our lives patterned after God, patterned after the virtuous life. But what does sin do? Sin awakens a sense of anger of God. Now, don't get me wrong. God has not fallen into some emotional snit. No. Instead, we are alienated from God due to our sinfulness. Therefore, like Adam, we perceive. We perceive that God is angry with us. And then we are afraid of God, just like Adam. Notice the other detail here. Adam recognizes he is naked. Prior to sin, prior to the fall, 
Adam is utterly unselfconscious. Adam is so consumed with God and his friendship with God, he felt no need to cover himself or hide. You know, a good analogy is like a toddler, maybe a one-year-old. They're still in diapers, and yet they're running all over the house with just those diapers on and nothing else. Why? Because they're completely unaware. They're not, they don't care about their own appearance. And yet, when we get older, when we become teenagers in our 20s, 30s, 40s, we become more self-conscious. We are more worried about our appearance, what we say and what we do. Did we make a good impression? Now, stay that with that notion of a friend. When we are in the presence of a friend, we feel free, don't we? We're not threatened. We're not trying to protect our own self-interest. When we are in the presence of a friend, we feel free and open to share our thoughts and our feelings. That's the way we were meant to be with God. This is what God wanted from all of us from the very beginning. God wants us to be unselfconscious in our friendship with him, not hung up on our own selves, always preoccupied with our self-conscious. Now, the story continues. God knows exactly what happened. That's why he says to Adam, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten then from the tree of which I have forbidden you? God completely understands Adam's response. That's why he questions, Have you eaten from the tree I forbid you? Now, again, don't get me wrong. God is not asserting dominance over Adam. God doesn't see Adam as a rival, and therefore deliberately keeps this tree away from him. No, instead, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents something that is properly ordered to God and God alone. The point here is, it's not our business to decide what is right or wrong, or to decide what is good or evil. God decides that. God is the sole arbiter of good and evil. And Adam and Eve, in that act of grasping at that fruit from the tree, they want to be gods themselves. They want to be the arbiter of what is good and evil. And this notion of human beings being the arbiter of good and evil is not something that is relevant in the ancient world. In fact, I would argue it's very prevalent now. It's referred to as moral relevantism, in which the individual person becomes the sole arbiter of what is good and evil, rather than God. They determine what is good and evil. They determine who has a right to live in this world. They determine their own life and their will. See, when that happens, then each individual person determines what is good and evil. And it's all relative to that person, such that morally good and evil behavior is determined by the individual person and not by God itself. And then when that happens, then yes, original sin is ushered into this world, as it is with Adam and Eve. Now next in the story starts the blame game. Adam says, The woman whom you put here with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, and so I ate it. The Lord God then asked the woman, Why did you do such a thing? The woman answered, The serpent tricked me into doing it, so I ate it. And so Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the devil. Now, the most fundamental function of sin is blame or accuse. Watch any TV news during the day or any of these TV news with a panel discussion 
and count how many times the people blame. They blame one another. They blame organizations. They blame political parties. They blame the government. A good and challenging question that we have to ask ourselves, do we do this also? Do we participate in blaming? Now, it's only fitting for Adam and Eve to blame the devil. And why not? The two great names of the devil are Satan. Satan comes from the Greek word satanos, which means the accuser. The devil, his name comes from the Latin root word diabolain, which means to scatter. And that's exactly what the devil is doing here. Now, what I find somewhat comical is Adam suddenly blames God. Notice what he says. The woman whom you put here with me, she gave me the fruit, and so I ate it. So Adam blames Eve, but he so subtly blames God for this situation. Here we see the protection of the fragile ego. That's what Adam and Eve are doing. They're protecting their ego, which is their paramount concern. Once again, prior to the fall of grace, prior to sin, the ego never existed. As it's symbolized in Adam and Eve in their nakedness and their lack of self-consciousness. But after sin is ushered into this world, then the ego exists and thrives. Then people have self-conscious and they begin to blame and accuse. And that is what Adam and Eve are filled with. Now turn to the gospel. Now it's so interesting. In the first reading, for lack of a better term, we see the mess that Adam and Eve created. But you go to the gospel and you see Jesus Christ slowly cleaning up that mess. What is Jesus doing in the gospel? He's performing an exorcism. He's driving out demons. Why is that? Because prior to the fall, our relationship was not based upon blaming or the ego or self-absorption. Our relationship before the fall was based upon a right relationship with God, walking in easy fellowship with God in the garden, walking in rhythm with God, such that our life was in rhythm with God and living the virtuous life. So Jesus, by performing this exorcism, he's reversing that momentum of sin. The momentum of sin began with Adam and Eve and their fall from grace. And yet now we see Jesus. His whole mission is about reversing that momentum of sin. Where does it reach its culmination? When Jesus climbs upon the cross. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus now reverses that momentum of sin and restores us to a right relationship with God, which is what God wanted before the fall, the very beginning of time itself, so that we walk in easy fellowship with God, so that we walk in rhythm with God, and our life is always in rhythm with God, living the virtuous life. Friends, strongly encourage you, take some time this week, reread the first reading along with the gospel together. That tells us our human condition, but it also reveals just how much God loves us, what he wanted from the very beginning before the fall with us, and how Jesus Christ reverses that momentum of sin so that now we have that right relationship. Now our lives are in rhythm with God, which is what God intended from the very beginning of time. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.